Well, the tower's construction was completed on August 9th in the year 1173. And when everybody had finished, they were very pleased with their work and they celebrated. But just five short years later, the soil beneath that tower would shift and the entire structure would begin to sink and topple over. We call it the Leaning Tower of Pisa today. It really was an impressive feat way back in 1173. It's just unfortunate that its foundation was only three meters thick and that it was built on a, a patch of dense clay, not a real great footing for 14,500 tons of tower. It's not really a surprise that the soil shifted and the whole thing started to fall. And it would have toppled completely over if not for some engineering exploits around the year 2000 that salvaged the tower and ensured that it would continue to stay leaning for the rest of its existence. Foundations, man, they're really, really important. And engineers, they've learned a lot about foundations since then. You take a, another impressive tower, like the Salesforce Tower in San Francisco. It's an impressive skyscraper. It took, its foundation took 18 hours to pour. It is 14 feet thick, and it stretches the breadth of about an acre. That's a lot of cement and a lot of rebar. And short of some cataclysmic event, that foundation ensures that that tower is going to remain standing for maybe the rest of time. It really is important to have a strong, strong, solid foundation. If you don't have a solid foundation, you might as well not even bother building. That's how significant it really is. Today, we're going to continue in a series we started last week called At Our Core. We're talking about the core values of FCC Monmouth, those things that make our hearts beat a little bit faster, and those values that influence our decision-making and our ministry in disproportionate ways. We will choose these things every time. And today, as we really get into talking about core values, we're going to begin by talking about what may be the most foundational of our core values. Today, we're talking about biblical truth. And if you really want to know how we feel about the Bible here at FCC, here's how we put it. We will not stand on anything less than the life-giving, liberating truth of God. And we chose those words very carefully because we believe that there is an immense amount of power in these words. The power that brings life, the power that brings freedom, not just from death, but from bondage of all kinds. There is an immense amount of power in these words, and that's what we want to talk about this morning, biblical truth, because the Bible is not always a popular book in today's day and age. Parts of it are, sure. There are parts of it that are celebrated, parts that talk about how much God loves us and, and how much he's forgiven us and talks about grace and mercy and that provides comfort when, when times are hard and strength when we feel weak. And, and all of those passages, by the way, are true, and we need to affirm those and celebrate those. But there are also passages in the Bible that confront some of the, the ideas, the mentalities, and the values of our culture and our world today. Some people are even offended by some of the things in this book. And yet we continue to cling to the entirety of the Bible at this church. And today we're going to talk about why. I mean, there are a lot of reasons. I mean, we could talk about the, the historical and the archaeological reliability of the Bible. We could talk about the literary continuity, how it tells one story with one message, despite the fact that it was written by dozens of authors over thousands of years in three different languages on three different continents. That feat alone is pretty miraculous. And those things play a huge role in, in why we stand so firmly and resolutely on this foundation. But to be honest with you, the reason we cling to this core value of biblical truth more than anything else 
is because we have experienced and we have witnessed the power of God's truth to change lives in phenomenal ways. And that's what we want to talk about this morning as we really start talking about biblical truth, what it is, why we stand on it. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to encourage you to open those up to the book of 2 Timothy in the New Testament. It's towards the end of the New Testament, chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, I'd always encourage you to have one, whether it's physical or digital, it doesn't matter, as long as you have something. If you don't have a Bible, we would be more than happy to get one for you right after the service. Just let us know. If you don't have a Bible with you, though, you can follow along on the screens to the side, or you can download the FCC Monmouth app on the mobile, uh, your mobile device. Click the Sunday button in the bottom right-hand corner, and there you'll find a lot of different tools that are very helpful for interacting with us and connecting with this message. This morning, probably the most helpful is going to be the Sermon Notes button that has this passage already pulled up. It's going to be 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, I've used a phrase this morning, I'm going to use it several more times, and you're probably going to get sick of hearing it by the end of our message today, but that doesn't make it less true. There is power in God's truth to change and transform lives in phenomenal ways. And we see that as we start to get into our passage this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. He says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. So when we read through this list of vices and this list of, of, of behaviors, I don't know about you, but there are a lot of things and, and people in our culture that we celebrate culturally that kind of come to mind as we go through some of these characteristics. I mean, don't get me wrong, our culture, even today, we would read through this list culturally and we would agree, these are not virtuous things, and, and out of one corner of our cultural lips, we would say, yes, we affirm these things, avoid these. You know, you shouldn't be conceited, you shouldn't be lovers of yourself, that's vanity. And yet, out of the other corner of our cultural mouth, we would say, be sure to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, where I'm going to spend a lot of time cultivating a self-image and promoting myself. In fact, there are entire industries, indispensable industries in our culture that have been created all around this idea of image curation and self-promotion. Because at the end of the day, we are a culture that loves ourselves. And at the same time, our culture, out of one corner of our lips, we would say, you should not be lovers of pleasure. You should not be without self-control. That's hedonism. That's not good. But out of the other corner of our cultural mouth, we are people that carry around $3 trillion of consumer debt. And that's not mortgages. That's not student debt. That's consumer debt. These are things, stuff, vacations, experiences, vehicles that we can't really afford, but we don't really want to wait until we can afford them because at the end of the day, we are a culture that loves pleasure. You see, when we read through this list, this is what we might call normalcy today. And it's not that every person in our society today is going to check every box that we just read in this list, but culturally, when we look at it as a whole, when we look at our society, yeah, we tick a lot of these boxes. It's normalcy, especially that last one in the list. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. What does that mean? Well, in the first century when this letter was written, it was written to a young man named Timothy. 
in the city of Ephesus at the time. And Ephesus, there were, it was a very spiritual city. We'll talk about that a little bit more later, but it had a lot of spiritual qualities to it. The people really appreciated a lot of different spiritual things, and there were a lot of false teachers or gurus, we might say, in this city that looked very spiritual. Maybe in the way that they spoke, or the way that they dressed, or the way that they carried themselves. They had these qualities of spirituality, a form of godliness, if you will. And yet, as we read through this list, we find this was their conduct. Even though they looked the part inwardly, that spirituality had not really grown deep roots. It didn't really have a firm foundation that produced any sort of transformation in their lives. They just looked like everybody else. They had a form of godliness, but it didn't really have power in them. We keep reading, we see another example of this too. It's found in, in another group of people. If you want to look at verse 6, it says, uh, they are the kind, speaking of these teachers, they are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. So we have this group of, of really spiritual looking uh, teachers that don't really have lives that, that match their message. And, and what we find is they have wormed their way into the lives of this other group of people in Ephesus, a group of gullible women. Now, this is not all women. This is just a particular group in the, in the city of Ephesus. And these women, we learn, have a character. They are weighed down by their sins. And we don't know the nature of that, so we're not going to speculate. But their character, likewise, isn't of a spiritual or, or redeemed nature. They have a lot going on in their life that needs some tuning up, if you will. So it's surprising that the next thing we, we read is that they are always learning, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. Like I said, Ephesus was a spiritual city, remember? There was a lot going on there, and people were very curious about sorcery, and they were curious about philosophy, and they were curious about religion. It was a city in which a lot of these things were mixed together. And so you'd have this group of people, and in this case, a group of women, that were very curious. And, and if there was a new teacher, or there was a new guru, or there was a new message, or a new philosophy that was being preached on the street corner, they would be sure to listen and hear. Today, if, if we were to, to picture them in our society, these would be the ladies that, that walk into Barnes & Noble and make a beeline for the religion and spirituality section. And they say, I want this book on Christianity, and this one on Buddhism, and this one on New Age religions, and I want this one on Wicca, and I'm going to read them all, and I'm just going to take the parts that I like best out of them and blend it all together, even though those things don't really fit together. And if we were to do that, we might have a very spiritual quality about us. We might have a spiritual presence, or we might speak in ways that seem very spiritual, and yet it's not going to produce any sort of meaningful transformation in our lives. It hadn't in these women anyway. They were weighed down with their sins. They, they looked like everybody else in the culture around them with all those qualities that we read. So we've got these two groups. You've got these spiritual teachers that aren't very godly, these women who are always learning about spiritual things but never coming to a knowledge and experience of the truth. They're not really changed. And the theme that ties both of these people together is this kind of vague spirituality without any real power behind it. And that's something that our culture and our world today can actually get behind and recognize because we see it a lot in our world as well. Just like the city of Ephesus, ours, our society, is a very spiritual culture. We hear about atheism and the rise of atheism today. I'm gonna let you in. Statistically, atheism is actually on the decline. It's not really that powerful of a force. It's very loud, but it's not very broad, if you follow me. We are a very spiritual people. If you were to walk into any major city in the United States and ask any random person on the street, do you believe in a God? you would almost certainly get a, yeah. Now, the definition of God is going to vary wildly. 
And that's kind of my point. We are very spiritual people, but we don't really have a firm foundation that we stand on culturally. You know, sometimes we have a, a vague spirituality that kind of resembles these false teachers in Ephesus, but, but more often in our world today, what we encounter is a spirituality that worships a God who happens to approve of all the things that I approve of and that happens to have the same moral code that I hold and the same priorities that I have and wants the same things for my life that I happen to want. It's quite a coincidence, really. Even more serendipitous, as I grow and as my sense of morality and ethics and justice change, it's, it's crazy. God's sense of morality and justice and priority changes too. It's the dangest thing, really. Now, what's, what's really happening here? Are we really pursuing God or are we just deifying ourselves? You see, that's really the spirituality, the most pervasive spirituality in our culture today is one of self-worship, a God made in my own image. And that's not going to produce any meaningful transformation in our lives. That doesn't really have power. That is a form of godliness that denies power. That's always learning, but never really coming to a knowledge of the truth that there is a God who is not us. In fact, he created us. And in his power and in his truth wants to recreate us and transform us to look more like Jesus Christ, his son. That image of God that we are called to emulate in our lives, that is God's truth. And there's tremendous power in that truth to transform our lives in phenomenal ways. In fact, that's the second point in our sermon this morning. There is power in God's word, God's truth, to transform lives in phenomenal ways. Now, careful listeners this morning may take note that that's the exact same point we just finished in the sermon. I want to assure you that's not a typo. It's just worth saying twice. There's phenomenal power in God's truth, and by that we mean the Bible. And we've seen some, some bad examples of that. We've seen some counterexamples. Let's now look at some positive examples in our passage. Here's some examples of people who do embrace God's truth and whose lives have been changed in phenomenal ways. We're going to start reading in verse 10. It says, You, however, know all about my teaching. And my here, this is the Apostle Paul. He's the one writing this letter. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So this is the Apostle Paul, who's writing to his protege, Timothy, and he, he says, yes, you've seen the false teachers. Yes, you've seen these gullible women. But Timothy, you've also seen me. In fact, you traveled with me. You've been on my journeys. You've gone with me to these cities. You've heard me preach the word of God. And you've heard me testify to its truth. More importantly, though, you've seen how it has been at work in my life. You've seen the quality and the character of my life. You've seen how that word has filled me with purpose. You've seen how that word has produced in me love and patience. You've seen how that word and that truth has filled me with the endurance needed to undergo persecutions and still to stand firm. You've heard about what happened to me in, in Antioch, Timothy, and how I was run out of town. You've heard about what happened to me in Iconium and how they plotted to kill me. And Timothy, you've seen in your hometown of Lystra how they dragged me outside the city and they hurled rocks on my body till I looked like I was dead. 
And yet I wouldn't stay down and I got up and I can't back down from this message, Timothy, because there is power to transform lives in phenomenal ways. This is the life-giving, liberating truth of God. Paul was a man whose life had been radically transformed and changed by this message and by this power. And he's saying to Timothy, you've witnessed this. Remember the change you've seen in me. It's a powerful, powerful word that provides a foundation for you and I to stand on today. Not a foundation that will shift or move or deteriorate or crumble, but a firm foundation that is capable of supporting us, of bolstering us up, of strengthening us, even when we undergo tremendous loads and hardships in life because there's power in God's truth. There's a man named Greg Canale. He experienced this power himself. Greg is a a young guy. He was transitioning from his 20s into his 30s. He was leaving one career, heading to another one, and he was really just in a a phase of his life where things were not very satisfying, and he wasn't really sure what to do next, and life was just kind of confusing, and so as he was making this transition, he said, I want to do something to bring God along with me. You see, he grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, so he had this faith background, but he'd never really engaged with the Bible in a serious way, and so he said, over the next 100 days, I'm going to read the whole Bible, cover to cover. And he had his iPad, and he just said, I'll read 1% every day. It kind of measures at the bottom there. And that's what he did. And he chronicles this journey and some significant passages that stand out to him as he does. And, and at the end of this project, he writes this, this conclusion. He says, the words I read in the Bible were so strong, so meaningful, and they spoke so loudly to me that they seemed to jump off the page. There were many aha moments, epiphanies of sorts, feelings of Yes, I've felt this way before, or yes, I can relate with my own life. I just want to thank God for somehow giving me this idea to read the Bible, cover to cover. It made me reflect a ton and learn a ton, and I absolutely feel more spiritual and more happy. I'm on a mission now, because even though these 100 days are now in the past, I can still carry out all that I've read. Here is a young man who just dove into God's truth and experienced transformation in his life, experienced a new sense of purpose, a new sense of fulfillment, a new happiness, a real spirituality, not a godliness that was lacking in power. He has this mission now, now that he's read it, to go do it. It has impacted his life and changed him in phenomenal ways because there is truth in these words to work that powerful, powerful transformation in all of our lives. God's truth is an amazing thing. And we read another example of this as we keep going in 2 Timothy. Verse 14, it says, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul is now talking to Timothy. He says, you continue in this message, in this truth that you know, because you've not only seen its power in my life, you've seen its power in those who taught it to you. He's talking about his grandmother and mother, Lois and Eunice. These are two women that we are introduced to earlier in 2 Timothy. You see, Timothy grew up in this household where he had these these Jewish um, um, women, his grandmother, his mother. His father was Greek, and so he didn't really bother a whole lot with with religion. It was more philosophy with him. But these women, from a very young age, they took Timothy and they taught him the scriptures. 
And when they themselves discovered the truth of Jesus Christ and became followers of him, they made sure Timothy understood the truth about Jesus as well. And from a very young age, they just poured scripture into this young man, and he likewise watched the power of that word in the lives of these women. And he saw their love, and he saw their tenderness, and their compassion, and their patience, and their endurance. And the testimony of their lives spoke to the truth and the power in these words. I'm just gonna put this message on hold for just a second and do a little mini sermon here. Parents and grandparents, when you read the Bible, you are not just reading for yourselves. You are not just laying a foundation for yourselves. There is another generation that you and I are responsible for, and we read this word and this truth for them, and we lay this foundation for them just as much as ourselves so that they can witness the power of its truth in your life. That is our calling. So read it. That's the mini-sermon. We'll get back to the real sermon now. There is powerful truth in this word to transform lives, and Timothy saw it firsthand. I've seen it firsthand. You've seen it firsthand. You ever met somebody or you've known somebody in your life where you could just tell like their life smelled like the Bible in some ways? Like it just, you could tell it had shaped them in profound ways. There was a, an elder in the very first church where I served. His name was John. John was a, an older guy and he was, he was always smiling. John just smiled all the time. Now he wasn't a perfect guy. He'd tell you that himself. But, but John was a man who loved the Lord and he just smiled. That's what I remember most about him. Even though his adult daughter had a drug problem and she was off taking care of herself and so he was raising his rebellious teenage grandson, John still smiled all the time. And even though raising that rebellious teenager meant that he had to continue driving a semi-truck even though he was sick and even though he was well into his age where he could retire, he still smiled, even though a lot of people would say, that's not fair. John smiled all the time. He was a good man. He was a good husband. He was warm. He was caring. And if you were to ask John, why are you the way that you are and why do you live the way that you live, John would smile. And then he would quote something out of the Bible for you. Because John was a man who read God's truth, not just to know what it said on the pages, but to know the one it was speaking about. He wanted to know God. He didn't want a vague spirituality. He didn't want a God that was made in his own image. No, he wanted to be changed into the image of Christ and to know the power of God's truth in his life. And his life smelled like the Bible in so many ways. I know that's a weird image, but that's, that's just the, the closest thing I can come up with. And you've known people like that too. Maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a grandparent, maybe it was a teacher, a coach, a neighbor, maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. We have witnessed the power of God's truth in other people's lives. And that word holds that same potential to transform our lives in phenomenal ways. In fact, that's the third point in our sermon this morning. God's truth holds power to transform our lives in phenomenal ways. Now, once again, wise among us and the observant among us may have noticed, we have already had this sermon point two other times. I want to assure you, not a mistake, not an accident, I really just don't want to talk about anything else this morning because this is all that really matters. There is so much power in God's truth to transform our lives in phenomenal ways. And here's why. Look back at 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is verse 16. All scripture, and let's just make a note of that first word, 
all. We're going to get back to that. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness for a purpose so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The reason this word holds so much power, the reason it can transform our lives in such phenomenal ways is because it is God-breathed. What that means is that when the biblical authors sat down and they started writing out their letters and their histories and their poetry and so on, they didn't sit down and go, you know what, I think God is kind of like this. Or I think if God were to tell us something, I think he would say something like this. That's not what happened. Being God-breathed means that the Holy Spirit of God imbued these people with the wisdom and the understanding granted from God so that they could convey the message of God in a way that God wanted it conveyed as if it were from his own mouth, breathed, if you will. It is from him. And that's why when we read all of Scripture, that key word, we are reading a powerful, powerful truth that has tremendous potential to change us. If these were just the words of mere men and they were to teach or correct or rebuke or try to train me in some way I wasn't comfortable with or didn't like, I could just say, you know what? You do you and I'll do me and we're fine. You know, let's just leave it at that because it's easy to reject the words of other people. But if my creator... If the God of the universe and all of his wisdom who orchestrated and ordered all of creation is saying to me from his mouth, no, this is what I call you to. This is morality. This is ethics. This is justice. This is purpose. If he's the one saying these things, I no longer have the right to say, you do you and I'll do me because he created me, right? There is power in this word and that's why when God speaks and he teaches us, we listen. There's wisdom, divine wisdom in there, in all of the Bible, if we read it. And that's why whenever we are rebuked or corrected in Scripture, in ways to step on our toes and make us uncomfortable, that's why we listen anyway. Because there's purpose and there's love behind these words. Our Father, our Creator, He is calling us to something greater, a transformed life. And that's why when there is training to teach us new ways of being, we are trained in righteousness and uprightness and holiness, we listen because our creator is pointing us in the direction that we are called and created to walk in. There is real power in all of scripture if, and here's the key word, if we read and listen. And that's the rub, really. Because as we've already said, sometimes the Bible steps on our toes Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes, even because of our cultural values today, it offends us. Not because it wants to, but because it challenges the convictions of this world with something real, something true. But if we just listen and obey, if we humble ourselves before the Lord and just embrace the power in His Word and in His truth, we will be changed in phenomenal ways. It's kind of like a workout routine in some ways. You know, if you've ever gone to a trainer, you've ever looked up an exercise routine, they're going to give you a lot of different exercises to do. Some of them you will really enjoy, and some of them are squats. You hate them. Amen? I hate squats. And if we just do the exercises that we like, if we just do the ones that are comfortable or that feel good, we're not going to experience the full benefit of that routine. You do all the exercises, your body will be transformed. You just do the ones that you like, and your body's not going to be transformed in the way that you want. I mean, let's say that you, you just like 
arms and you like to do curls and you like to do presses and you like to work up your upper body but you hate squats and you hate leg day so you just don't do it you don't listen you don't you don't practice that you're going to wind up a top heavy monster with skinny little chicken legs that's not a transformation that you want if you want the transformation if you want the benefit of the routine then you have to do the whole routine there's power in god's word there's power to heal and power to bind up the broken, power to mend, there's power to encourage, there's power to give us strength in hard times, and we need that. But there's also power to correct and power to rebuke and power to sand off the rough edges of our life and our character, and we need that too. And it's only by listening to all of Scripture, even when it's challenging, even when it steps on our toes, only by embracing all of it can we experience the full power of God's truth to transform our lives in phenomenal ways. And that's why, at FCC, one of our core values is biblical truth. We will stand on nothing less than the life-giving, liberating truth of God. That freedom is not always found in simply reading encouragement and reading about grace and, and humility and, and mercy and love. We need all of those things, don't, don't get me wrong, but we also need to hear passages in Matthew, like when Jesus says, if, if you don't forgive your brother, your father won't forgive you. And we need passages in Amos, where God says basically to the Israelites, I don't want your songs, I don't want your sacrifices, and rather let justice roll like a river, let mercy flow on. We need those passages that challenge us in some ways because God is trying to transform us into the people he's always called us to be. That's why we preach the whole Bible. For example, next year we're going to preach through the book of Amos. Anybody here ever read Amos? Yeah, a few of us. That's my point. We need the whole Bible, guys, because all Scripture is God-breathed, and all of it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness for a purpose so that the servants of God may be equipped for every good work. So here's my challenge for us this morning. Read it. You have it. It's available to you, whether it's in print, whether it's digital, whether you have a large print Bible or, or it's online and you can blow up the font as large as you want or need. You have the Bible readily available at your fingertips. So read it. And some of us say, well, I hear this all the time. I'm not much of a reader. I'm just going to be totally honest with you. I don't really care, and neither does God. He has given you powerful truth to transform your life. Read it. We have a couple of other follow-up steps that you can do in our Right Now Media Digital Library. There are plenty of Bible studies we have highlighted and curated for you that talk about the origin of the Bible, where it came from, why it's trustworthy and reliable, I'd encourage you to check that out. Learn about Scripture and why it is so trustworthy. There are plenty of Bible reading programs on the YouVersion Bible app that can keep you accountable. Most of us carry around one of these things all the time. A little push notification pops up on your home, your home screen that says, hey, don't forget to read God's powerful transforming truth. It's probably going to phrase it differently, but it's going to give you that message. There are plenty of tools available at our fingertips, tips or tools that people across the world are dying for. And we have so many. So here's my challenge. Read it and be transformed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It has come to us through a tremendous amount of effort and study and bloodshed. And yet you have endured and kept your message pure century after century. You have brought it before us, readily available, easy to understand, 
in wordings and translations and paraphrases that can engage with, with any person in any phase of life. You have done all the work. And so I pray now that we would be convicted to read. And as we engage with your truth, Father, I pray that we would learn who you are and who we are meant to be. That we would learn not just about your love, but also about your calling, about holiness. That we would learn about real spirituality, not just a, a veneer of spiritualness, Father, but, but a, a godliness that has power to transform us in our inner being. And I pray that as we engage with you, we would experience life and we would experience freedom that comes only through the truth in your word. It's because of your goodness that you have left us this testimony. And so, Father, I pray now that we just engage, that we are changed. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.